on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We discuss the OU offensive coordinator situation, give you a rapid recap of OU's win over TCU, discuss the best games of week 13 of college football, and we give you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. beautiful Sunday, November 26th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, craps no matter what your game riverwind has it in spades and hearts and to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of november all you gotta do is visit riverwind.com riverwind casino simply the best now recording this late sunday night a lot has happened in the last 48 hours when it comes to oklahoma football ted where do we even start well I guess we have to start with our offensive coordinator taking a head coaching job in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, let's start with the biggest news. It feels like the OU-TCU game was a month ago. <laughs> it does. We're we're going to do a little rapid recap of what we saw in that game. But, yeah, let's, let's just go through every angle of this Jeff Levy situation. So, Levy has taken – the head coaching job at Mississippi State. Obviously, Zach Selman was at Oklahoma. They have a very good relationship. He is now the athletic director at Mississippi State. Offers Levy the job. He has accepted it after they worked through some contract details. What do you think, Ted? Well, I think it is a really good opportunity for Jeff. I think that, you know, it wasn't very long ago that, Jeff probably had to think the the idea of him being a head coach in the SEC was really far down the line. Um, but he's done some really good stuff. He's worked his way up the ladder. Um, had a really good year this year with Oklahoma. Finished number three in the country in the regular season offensively, which is really impressive. And, you know, Mississippi State is, I, I think it's a it's a job where you can go you can maybe build a little bit of base and then make a nice run, win eight, nine, ten games in a given year, and who knows what may happen. Uh, upgrade from there, perhaps. You know, we'll just have to wait and see. It's not an easy job, 
but I think it's a job where the expectation is not going to be to go in there and if you don't win the SEC in three years, you're toast. You know, I think it's a fan base that a fan base and an administration that's going to be willing to work with Levy to to get some things in place to become pe- competitive, set up a you know a nice recruiting base. You know, he'll be able – you would think he'd be able to recruit really well at the at the quarterback position, and that's a big start. If you can get a stud quarterback into Mississippi State, uh, you know, hit, hit it out of the park in the transfer portal, put together a team around him, who knows what may happen. And f- first of all, I, I don't think it was an easy choice for Jeff Levy from some of the conversations that you and I have had Brent Venables did not want Jeff Levy to leave was what's the best way to put it. Ted was pleased with the job that he was doing. It wasn't perfect, but he felt really good about the direction this thing was headed in offensively. Is that a fair way to say it? Well, yeah, I know know there's been a ton of uproar from the fan base at times, and I'm not saying that a lot of that wasn't deserved. I mean, I, I understand that. Um, but when you got the number three offense in the country, you know, I, it, it always feels like it's as easy as just take your pick of whoever you want out there and off we go. But it's, it's just not that easy. So you always want when possible, when you're having success and things are moving in the right direction, you would love to keep continuity whenever you can. So, uh, it sounds to me like Venables probably, you know, wasn't just thrilled that he was he was leaving, but you know, I I can understand that from Venables' perspective, sure. When from from Lebby's perspective, it's just really hard to turn down a head coaching job in the SEC. And that's just yeah. really, really difficult. And Mississippi State, you mentioned it, it's not it's not an easy job. But when you think about Lebby's strengths, he is a really good offensive mind, despite what what some OU fans may think. And there, there's a reason that Nick Saban wanted to hire him as an offensive coordinator. There's a reason Brent Venables, right, one of the brightest defensive minds in all of football, wanted to hire him as his offensive coordinator. Those guys are not idiots. Uh, Jeff Lebby is he's very well respected from an X's and O's standpoint. He's also a really good recruiter. And he was just from the conversations I've had over the last couple of years, he was also a driving force of getting OU's NIL operation to where it's at. Absolutely. Maybe the driving force other than Tim Heddington. <laughs> Like he, yeah. he did a massive amount of work in that area for Oklahoma. And I think that's something that made him very appealing to Mississippi State because remember, Zach Selman was involved in some of that. And he obviously knows what Jeff was able to accomplish. So when you talk about, and I know we're going to get to, you know what what the OU uh, the OU offensive coordinator role looks like moving forward but 
that is undoubtedly a void that has to be filled for Oklahoma. Yeah. Because make no mistake about it, people, Jeff Levy was, he was serving a massive role in the NIL area stuff when it came to recruiting, when it came to roster retention. So that is, that's something this staff, that other guys got to figure out because he was doing a lot of work in that area. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. This is not the NFL. In the NFL, you show up, you design an offense, you draft players that you feel like fits that identity, you go out, you select some free agents, and you try and get them in to fit your offense, and you call plays. You design an offense, and off you go. That's not what this job is. Right? It's recruiting. It's trying to get everything set up with the NIL the proper way and it, having relationships and maintaining relationships and keeping players wanting to be there and you know and Levy filled a very important role up there um uh, with all the stuff that you said but also with with current players you know the, coach Venables is extremely demanding he's very straight to the point i it's very black and white like here it's this or it's not you know you're on or you're on board with us or you're not and i think levy was uh like a really good almost not necessarily counter to that but uh was able to see things a little bit differently and and maybe you know, I, I think help Coach Vittables in a, in a lot of ways trying to marry that defensive coordinator mentality that he's always had to the head coach mentality. And I think it was it was very pivotal in getting us to where we are today. So, yeah, I I, I know some people are, were frustrated with, with, you know, a couple of the offensive performances out there and some like, I, I get all that. I understand. And, but I, this hire is very, very important, and you absolutely have to get it right to fill some of those voids that have been left. And I think this is the best way I can put it. Jeff Levy's a fun guy to be around. Mm -hmm. He's a fun guy to talk to. He's a fun guy to drink a beer with. He's just a fun guy to be around. And that matters to 18 to 22-year-old kids that are spending incredible amounts of time with with the coaching staff. So. I think you're right. Like that is a, that's a void that has to be filled. So when it comes to what the offensive coordinator position looks like for OU moving forward, I'm interested in if there's going to be any outside candidates to come to play in this, but with, with what I know so far, I will be surprised if it's someone other than Seth Luttrell or Joe John Finley. Now, when you look at Seth Luttrell's resume, right, it's longer, it's more accomplished, right? He, he's been a coordinator, he's been a head coach. Joe John hasn't done that, but when Levy was hired, and some of you fans got mad at me when I said, "Hey, if he's here." For more than two years, the things have not gone well. Like uh, with, you know, kind of how hot 
Lebby's name was at the time. At the very most, I thought we'd get one season from him in the SEC. I thought three years of him being the offense coordinator was kind of the max. I always thought that Joe John Finley was the natural successor once Lebby took a head job. Now, that was before Seth was on the staff, before he was let go at North Texas. So what do you think, man? I, I will be surprised if it's anyone other than Joe John or Seth Luttrell, but hey, maybe maybe there are some guys that have connections to Venables that I'm just not thinking about. Yeah, I don't know. I, I for continuity's sake, for Jackson Arnold's sake, it would probably be beneficial to be able to, um, you know, Joe John is has a. a a lot of experience in this exact offense or very similar, like the same branch of offense. Um, now Seth, the trail is an air raid guy. He, you know, he, he's, he was at tech. He, I know he spent time in, in Kansas as well, but uh, he, he's more of what you would call a traditional air raid type of offensive coordinator, a little bit different than the, what, Lebby's background has been now there's some concepts in there that are similar I mean there there always is but he's he's from a little bit different family whenever it it comes to offenses um doesn't mean that you know you could just obviously carry forward the same language that they have installed right now and it'd be a pretty easy transition now I don't know I don't know what Venable's thoughts are you know, he and if, we we did invite him to come on the podcast tonight, and he respectfully <laughs> declined. So we tried to get his thoughts. Yeah, he he's a busy man right now. Busy man. Um, you know, the most important thing, if I were in Brent Venable's shoes. Uh, I would, I would, obviously there's guys on staff that I would feel strongly about, but you have to do your due diligence. You have to, uh, take a step back, look around, make sure that you're doing the best thing for the program. Uh, because offensive coordinator at Oklahoma is a very difficult job to turn down. So you almost have access to every offensive coordinator in the country, except for maybe a small handful uh, that would probably be willing to jump all over this job, especially going to the sec. Um, but I, I'm, I don't know. I, I wish, I wish I, I wish I knew what Venables thought, what he thinks offensively they need to do moving forward. And, I think a lot of that has to do with maybe what, what their personnel looks like at the moment. You know, you, there may be some style that you would love to just jump all in into right now, but what are we set up for? Are we set up to be able to do that right now with some of our, our roster? So I don't know. I, I think you have to give a big edge to, to the guys on staff is, is having a, a really good shot at it. And, um, if it's Seth and not Joe John, I don't know what that means for Joe John. Um, 
you know, would he, is would there, he stay? Would he... Is there any situation where it's a co-OC type of situation, but then you know, someone has to call the plays? Mm-hmm. So for Joe John, for instance, him and Levy are best friends. If if he's not going to be the play caller at Oklahoma, would he leave OU to go be the offensive coordinator by title at Mississippi State, where it's highly unlikely he would call the plays there? I can't imagine Jeff's going to give up play calling duty. Yeah, I don't know. I I think money will have something to do with that. I think, you know, this is the last thing we think about, but moving your family again is, you know, that's not easy to do when you got a bunch of kids in school and everything and picking up those roots again. If you got to, if you have the ability to stay, then you probably lean towards staying, but you know, I don't know. It's hard to say right now. I know everyone wants to like throw every single name out under the sun right now and just dive behind it. And there's this hunger for information and who wants to be first with, with getting the name out there. But, you know, I, I think the guys on staff are strong candidates, but I think Brent Venables is going to do his due diligence, and it may be a little bit before he settles on a name. Right before we hopped on here to start recording, we both got off some phone calls. If anyone says they know who it's going to be, that would be news to some of the people that are in the conversation. So I, it'll be interesting to see how quickly this moves because early signing day is right around the corner. So while BV can, you know, you have to do your due diligence. Like you're saying, Ted, you can't, you can't take forever in this process, but you, you think about the impact on the rest of the coaching staff, the impact on current players, the impact on recruiting. Right. You you don't want to rush, but you you want to be in a hurry. Yeah. So it is it's gonna be interesting to see what the timetable may look like. People may listen to this Monday afternoon and something may be done. I I don't know. And I'm not sure anyone knows how how quickly this thing's gonna to come together. Yeah. You know what I've seen from from time to time whenever there's going to be changes made that often it's after signing day, you know, to kind of wait that process out and, you know, you, you don't want to make a move that you lose your team (laughs) through the transfer portal. And like, I don't think that would be the case at all, but you've seen that from other places. Wait, try and get your class signed and then start making some, some changes on the staff. And that may be what he does, or he may act really quickly. Think about it for a couple of days. And as they start to gear up for a bowl game, you get an offensive coordinator coordinator named and off you go. And like, here's the other part of it. I would expect, Lebby, this is not a situation where I think he would hang around and call the bowl game. Um, 
I think he will be gone right away to Mississippi State, start setting up his own staff, start recruiting, start recruiting the players that are on roster there at the moment. And Brent Venables is going to have to name an offensive coordinator in waiting uh, through the bowl game period. Someone's going to have to call plays for the bowl game. So whoever that might be is probably your first really good sign of who's got the best opportunity to land the job. Yeah, that'll be, that should be a good indicator. Now, one thing I was thinking about when it comes to the offensive staff, first of all, there, I've seen a little bit of a discussion Who will Levy take from the staff with him? This is the most respectful way I can put it. You don't leave OU for Mississippi State if you're taking the same job. That's just, and and I'll never forget it, the first conversation I ever had with Bill Biedenbeau when he was became our offensive line coach in 2013. I said, well, why'd you leave West Virginia? And he looked at me like I was the Biggest dumbass ever. And he goes, dude, it's Oklahoma. And that was it. So you don't, you, I, I don't think you're going to see Levy take three guys, four guys, anything like that. And that's why Bill Biedenboat got offered a boatload of money from USC and he stayed. I, I don't think Biedenboat's going to Starkville. I, I'm not worried about Biedenboat going anywhere. Joe John Finley, will his decision be dependent on if he gets the OC job or not? I I don't know. Emmett Jones, BV speaks so highly of that guy. I can't imagine he's going anywhere with what the receivers have done this season. DeMarco Murray, OU running back legend. What, he's going to leave OU? Seems doubtful. So that's where you you start looking at each guy. Matt Wells is an interesting situation as well. Guy that's been a play caller, guy that's been a head coach, has served as an analyst, is basically the head coach when the team is on offense. But I would assume Matt's trying to get another head job somewhere with the reputation he has in college football. So you start looking at the members of this offensive staff And I really don't see anybody leaving. And that's where it's an interesting situation. If BV's looking at someone that's not in house right now, is it, is a guy going to take the job? If BV says no, but you got to keep all these guys. That's where, that's where the conversation gets even more interesting. Yeah, no, it does. Because I don't think BV is going to hire some offense coordinator and let him get rid of all these guys that have OU ties and ties to Venables. I, it, I don't know. I just I can't imagine him operating that way. Just yeah. from he talks about loyalty so much, I just can't see that happening. Yeah, and you know that's if you go outside, that's where someone has to take that leap of faith like for instance whenever venables went to clemson as defensive coordinator he was not allowed to make any hires you know he basically just had to leave that up to to Davo, show up and 
install his defense and off he goes. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, all of those reasons give you the strongest evidence that probably come from on staff. But again, you never know. And it is not the mission for Brent Venables to make sure somebody on staff gets a shot. His mission is to do the right thing, the best thing for the program uh, for University of Oklahoma. That's his job. And I'm sure that he's going to turn over plenty of of, of stones and, and make sure that he vets all the right candidates before he makes a final decision. Because it's very important hire. It's, it's a big hire. This is, you know, Venables has been thrown a lot of interesting curveballs in two years at Oklahoma, all right? You know, before he ever coached the game, you know, with the with the Gundy situation, this year with uh, with Lebby and the Art Bryles situation, I mean, there's been a lot of different things thrown at him, and not to mention the the portal and the NIL stuff and and all of the all the other stuff. Like this is all of those things included. This is the biggest like off the field situation that he's going to have to maneuver and, and make the right hire. I mean, that's, you talk to any, any successful head coach, it's the hires underneath that made all the difference in the world. No doubt about it. I, I suppose if Venables listens to the podcast, he'll probably call Andy Cottlenicky from Kansas. Yep. I, mean, I don't know if he will or not. Lance Leipold would not be pleased, but <laughs> he, I, I think you and I have made it very clear how how much we appreciate what he does offensively. So that that's well, that's what I don't know is has Venables faced anyone during his time here, or maybe back when he was at Clemson, where he was just where he walked away going going. That is incredibly difficult to defend. Yeah. That that's well, what I don't know. That's the that's the layer of this that I just don't have enough knowledge about. I'd say the one thing moving forward that we in my this is purely my opinion only. Um we need to develop an identity on offense. Who we are, what we hang our hat on, and that usually starts with the run game. Like, what type of what type of team are you going to be running the football? Um, while this offense was was good, clearly ended up number three in the country. Like, I don't necessarily know what that is. I don't know what we hang our hat on as an offense at the moment. And Greg I Stoops. think, yeah. <laughs> our slot receiver. Um, that's something that I think we really need to develop moving forward. And we need to become a much more physical offense. I, I would like to see whoever the offensive coordinator is. I would like to see less tempo and more personnel groupings. 
That's what I would like to see. I would like to see, this is the best way I can describe it. I would like to see defenses have to deal with more variables. Yep. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, Ted, but you and I have talked a lot about this over the last two years. There is a time and place for tempo. I just don't know if it's if it's how you build a national championship team, which I think is what everyone around here wants. Yeah. It's a substitute is what tempo is. It's it's a substitute for not being physical enough to knock people off the ball. You know, not it's it's a gotcha. You know, that's what it is. And then you leave yourself exposed to really someone going down and grabbing a, a calf cramp that takes the the life out of your drive, life out of your of your offense and and throws the timing off and you've got to, you know, try and resettle things. So yeah, I I don't know. I we'll see where Venables goes. Like should I get a call from Venables? Uh, and he asked my advice. I've got a long list of uh, of things I would like to see uh, offensively moving forward, but um, I'm not expecting to get that call. I hope you do, and I hope <laughs> you get it right now so we can record it. <laughs> I I think the first question, one of my first questions would be, will you run plays with a quarterback under center? Absolutely. And if they say no, I'm going to say you can see yourself out. <laughs> but once again, I, I've i got a lot of opinions as well. Now, some people were wondering what does Jeff Levy's departure mean for Jackson Arnold? Clearly a, a strong connection between those two. Jackson Arnold's dad came out and told the OU Daily, quote, it doesn't affect Jackson. He plays for OU. So that was a relief. That felt really good to read. Shout out to the OU Daily for uh, dropping my blood pressure on a Sunday. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, no, that's big. Uh, That's that's the the first thing you kind of go to is, you know, the the future quarterback. Yeah, if. If it was something that was going to affect his his status with the football team, I I <laughs> that would have changed this whole situation. But yeah, that's good. And I think for the most part, there may be some guys that feel one way or another about it right now, and what that means for them in the transfer portal or it, it, as a as a recruit. But after you sit back for a second and take a deep breath. You say, okay, yeah, I'm either playing or going to play football at the University of Oklahoma. And obviously who the hire is will will factor in, but I don't expect it to change really anyone's anyone's feeling of of whether they're going to stay or go. Maybe a handful of guys on the football team now, um, transfer portal-wise, but like, I, a starter's not going to leave Oklahoma to go to Mississippi State. They're just not. That's just not going to happen. I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, unless and I have it's been Dylan told. Gabriel, is that what you were going to say, Dylan Gabriel? That if the price is right, I think that could be a bit bu- a good business decision for him. I'm serious. I agree. No, I know. 
And I will say, I obviously have a really good relationship with Zach Selman. They've, from an NIL perspective, they've got their stuff pretty buttoned up. They got one of the the more organized operations that I've been walked through. So that that is something I I think that combination with how good of a recruiter Levy is. I'm interested to see how that recruiting ramps up for them. I I, I really am. But OU currently is the number seven recruiting class in the country. I believe there are 28 commits in that class. 15 of them are offensive players and. I think all OU fans were excited to see a bunch of committed guys tweeting that their status was unchanged by Levy's departure. Uh, you saw something from Zion Kearney, who is a w- wide receiver that's basically a top 100 guy. You saw uh, Devon Mitchell, the big-time tight end prospect that reclassified. His tweet said, I'm locked in. I'm not going anywhere. So you combine that with what? Jackson Arnold's dad said what we saw from these recruits in I, I think that 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 calmed the fan base a little bit Ted yeah yeah there's always a lot on the line and it 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 does whenever you've got top recruiting classes and there's big changes that's the first thing you worry about and also whenever you hear all the doom and gloom with everyone as we get closer to this transfer portal uh, opening, all the coaches out there across college football are saying it's going to be absolute havoc. Um, big changes to your staff and to your football team, you know, typically are leading indicator on how many guys you're going to have in the transfer portal. But at least at the moment right now, it's not a top concern for me. Anything else on Levy to Mississippi State? Joe John, Seth Luttrell, any off-the-wall candidates? You got anything else? As of right now, I don't think I have anything else. But it could change when you get that call here in five minutes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, (laughs) let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys, who do you all want to have OU's next OCB? Uh, This is an interesting one that comes from Lil Jimmy Don. Sean Lewis, he'll leave Colorado and at least be good for two to three years. I I think his offense is very similar. They're not the exact same, but definitely very similar. He He's from the Bryles tree as well. We got to see his offense firsthand last year when OU played Kent State. But I don't know. that I, I feel like if you're going to stick with that you would just go with joe john or seth i could be wrong but he definitely got done dirty at colorado yeah yeah i mean that's he's a fine offensive coordinator uh he's he's kent state was really good whenever he was there I, you know he's not going to be unemployed for very long but not the, not a move that i would expect Venables to make and for me I and maybe it's just how I am as a person but I do not want to do the same exact thing that everyone else in college football is doing 
And that is shotgun, zone insert, RPO, over and over and over and over. I'm not a fan of it. But again, that is a personal preference thing. We'll see what Coach Venables wants to do. Okay, let's get to a couple of the other ones. This one comes from D. Jones. Dana Holgerson. Yeah, Dana got let go at Houston. That was kind of a shock. I, you know, and I know you can't ever... Uh, it sounded like they were going to ride with him for the time being, you know, before the season. And I know that last year there was a lot of thoughts of him being on the hot seat and they dismissed that. And first year in the big 12, you would think that give him a little bit of time to get his feet underneath him, but that's college football for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think our man Dana is going to be in any rush to get back to work. He's got a big old buyout, and my man loves a vacation. Yeah, I was about to say, also, I I just, that, those are two polar opposite personalities. <laughs> o- opposites <laughs> attract, but typically not in coaching. <laughs> Dana Hogerson and Britt Venables are... They could not be more different of people. Yeah, that w- I think that would last like one staff meeting uh, before that w- came to an end. That would be uh, that would be something for sure. Now we got a couple more. A couple people mentioned Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, this comes from Bad Hop Single. Cliff Kingsbury is the choice. He's proven to no offense. He would create a buzz among the players and given the OU logo and move to the SEC, would find and keep five-star quarterbacks. I I think it would definitely be a splashy hire, for sure. And I have a lot of respect for Cliff and his knowledge of offensive football. But you just hire him, hire, you would hire him knowing that if he does well, you've got him for a year, basically. Yeah. So I don't know. And I don't yeah. know if Venables and Cliff have any type of relationship yeah. uh, at all. I don't know either. That's a hire if you are, you know, if you're already on that elite level to get you through a year or two. All right, because you just lost your top offensive coordinator who took a really good head job somewhere. Um, that's like a that's like a patch patchwork hire, just as you said. You're only going to have him a year or two top. So, um, I think he would do fine. I think he knows how to coordinate offense for sure, but I don't think that's going to be the hire. Last one comes from Corey Reedy. He says, "Whispering, Jeff Grimes." How about that? A lot of change at Baylor. Aranda going to be back. Anyone that has heard me talk about Jeff Grimes knows how much I love his offense. And it's because it is based entirely. Everything you do offensively is based entirely off the best play in all of football. Outside zone. So... 
I don't think this team is built. I don't think the team has the personnel that Jeff Grimes is one would want to utilize. Jeff Grimes likes to use three tight ends. So we would we would need to find some guys. But I'm sure the tight end's gonna be one they're hunting in the portal, anyways. Oh, there's no doubt about it. But I would be the happiest man in the world if Jeff Grimes. Can I say this since you brought it up? Can we please use a fullback? Can we you know, please you know who use uses a fullback? fullback? You know who uses a fullback? Jeff Grimes. Coddlenicky does for sure. Everyone wants to be like the NFL. The NFL doesn't use a fullback because you can only have 45 guys on the active roster on game day. We have 120 players standing on the sideline. We can have a fullback. Our tight end caught like seven passes the entire season. We're not fooling anyone that all of a sudden he's going to split out and run a, a go ball. We can use a fullback. You know who may be inclined to use a fullback? Yeah. The former fullback on a uh, OU national championship team. I don't know. He may despise the position because of that. <laughs> yeah, you never That's know. True. <laughs> who knows we will uh we'll record a new episode on wednesday and if an offensive coordinator has been named by then we will go all in on it now we are going to do a let's call it a rapid recap of outcu which felt like it feels like the game was played forever ago but we're going to do it anyways but first Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals can help any traveler plan their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Love's Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Love's Travel Stops. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile-to-go zone. And, of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Amore. The land doctors have a 120-acre property for sale in East Norman, located just 10 minutes from campus. This completely wooded property sits at the intersection of East 120th Street and Tecumseh Road. If you're looking for a quiet place to go spend some time in the outdoors or a nice little hunting spot, on the outskirts of town, this place is for you. There are also development and business opportunities with this property as well. Call Colton Colt to schedule a private showing at 405-615-7645 or shoot him an email at colton at landdoctors.com. And celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coupe Ale Works. Named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across OU Field. OU Field, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's that's bad across owen field after an ou score you can join in on the celebration with an ice cold beer from coupe Works. you can enjoy it at the palace on the prairie at OU athletics events at the bar at the tailgate and in the comfort of your own home for more information on schooner all-american ale visit schoonerale.com must be 21 to purchase please drink responsibly schooner all-american ale the taste of game day ou 69 nice U 45 
Ted, I know you were not pleased with what you saw from the defense in this football game. Not the performance the Sooners were looking for. What'd you see? Well, honestly, kind of more of the same uh, that we saw out of BYU. Um, run fits were not good. Uh, zone coverage at time really struggled. Didn't generate a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback other than whenever we dialed up blitzes. Uh, you know, we did affect the quarterback quite a bit uh, with that route. Um, you know, I just kind of looking at like, what we need to do moving forward and, and areas that we really need to to get better at uh, positionally corner and you know I recognize that a lot of that was driven by injury this year Gingery Williams was great but then he had the shoulder issue and it's been bothering him for half of half a season that's been a problem Josiah Wagner had the shoulder in the first half and you know by the time he was ready to go he'd missed so much time and he's just the true freshman it was hard to expect much from him um corner is a place and we're going to be losing woody washington so corner is is a position that we're really going to have to address um the pass rusher you know we 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 get pressure on the quarterback but it's typically by adding to the blitz, adding to the to the rush with backers or um, safeties or cheetah position guys. Um, rarely do we straight up four man rush get real good pressure on the quarterback. A lot of times we get in the five man front and we run some some stunts out of that uh, that bear look, um, and that generates some stuff. But a straight four man rush which really helps you dial in on the coverage on the back end. We have not been great. Um, there's a couple of guys that I thought were going to have better years. Um, I, I thought our Mason Thomas, you know, we were waiting for him to get healthy and then he got healthy and there was a flash or two, but not nearly consistent enough. He needs to stay healthy and have a great off season and obviously finish this year off in the bowl game, but just looking forward and, and uh, PJ needs to, you know, he's just a true freshman, which is fine. And he had some really nice things that he showed out there. I think he probably hit that freshman wall, like a lot of guys, but we need one-on-one -on -one pass rushers that can get the job done. And frankly, we have to get better at linebacker. I mean, we just do the run fits. The last couple of weeks have been terrible. You go back to the BYU game, obviously that was, you know, something that we did not expect the team that was last in the big 12 and at the bottom of all of college football and rushing just diced us up and down the field. Uh, you know, I, I had hoped that that was a, a practice issue Stutzman being out and no, it showed back up again against TCU and credit Monty Bailey. I think he's a really good back, but. We just flat out have to be better. Um, our our zone coverage at backer is is not very good either. And I think it all like we are physical, we tackle well, we're aggressive, but the problem is 
way too often, we don't know where we're supposed to be. And you don't tackle well and you're not aggressive whenever you don't know where you're supposed to be. You're out of position, you're late, and you're lunging and diving at guys because of that. And too often we find ourselves in that position. We've got to get better at linebacker. We have to be more consistent. We have to know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. And it's, I mean, it's, I'm not suggesting that it's easy. It's very difficult and it happens really fast. But if you go, if you prepare for one game and you show up and you clearly don't know what the hell's happening and you're like, you may miss a run fit in a game because you saw a shift or a motion that you hadn't practiced or maybe you got mixed up on one play. But if you miss 10 run fits, you don't know what the hell you're doing. And if you don't know what the hell you're doing, I, you have to live in the coach's offices, in the playbook, like standing there, drawing it up on the grease board. Like, I don't know how that can happen in one game. And you just kind of, well, it'll happen by next game and I'll have it. Hey, that's, we, we don't know what we're doing at linebacker have to get better. Um, you know, and, and there's too many free runners. We're still seeing it. We were really good early on. And I don't know, as the season goes on, people study you and they find, you know, ways to, to get you discombobulated. That's fine. But you know, in the secondary, I, I don't think we recognize route concepts very good, which, you know, I talked about this back early in the season and it was more about linebacker. Whenever you don't know what you're doing, there's very little time on the field spent recognizing what's about to happen to you or what is happening to you. You're so focused on, oh God, am I the flat player or am I deep here? Am I, am I supposed to be blitzing? What was the check here? I mean, I know they motioned. What's the personnel? Like you're so busy swimming in what you're supposed to do that you never recognize what the offense is trying to do to you. And I feel like that's where we are. We're just out there, you know, trying to do our job and not recognizing the the patterns and route concepts. So like all of that still showed up in the last game of the season. Now we played some really nice stretches of football. Most of the first half was pretty dang good. We got put in some, some bad spots. You know, they went right down the field on us, but then we muffed the punt and, you know, essentially hand them another touchdown. But other than that, the first half was pretty good. And it's because TCU didn't run the football. I don't know why they didn't run the football. I know they watched the BYU game just like we did, but they came out and decided they want to throw it until the second half. They thought, okay, now let's start hitting with the run game. And they hit on chunk after chunk after chunk. So um, it was a frustrating performance for the last game of the year. I don't know. I, we should have had two really strong defensive performances to end the season. And we ended up with two frustrating performances to end the season. Is that it? That's it. You sound, I, I'm not going to say you sound upset. You sound just 
It seems like more of a disappointed than upset. Well, I feel like we peaked at like week five defensively. You know? And There's I know no lot, doubt about it. Yeah. And I know a lot of that is there was some injury stuff. We lost Stutzman, which is a big deal. We lost Gentry Williams. We, you know, I'm not trying to gloss over those things. I mean, that's real, and that has a real effect on your football team, but I thought we definitely could have played better and could have got better throughout the year. It's like we we totally stalled and and stopped improving. Which is strange. Agree. Which is something that has now happened two years in a row defensively. Mm-hmm. Where You're in the back one. in yeah. the back half of the season, it is it just seems like it's snowballed in a bad direction, right? Well, yeah, and it's one thing whenever the season has to- gone totally off the rails and you're just trying to hang on and make it to the to the end line. Like, I, I mean, it's opposite of how I would approach things and how I would like people to approach things, but I guess I can kind of get it. But this year, when you've got everything in the world to play for, it's kind of shocking and I don't have a, I don't have a good answer for why that's, that's where it went. I mean, I guess we had a little bit of success. We had a goal line stand against Texas and we felt like we didn't have to put in any more work. I don't know. Is that it? That seems too simple, but if you've got a better idea, point me to it. I just find it. With how demanding you and I know Venables is, I can't imagine it was a lack of preparation. I can't imagine they weren't practicing hard. I mean, we've both been to those practices. So I don't know, but the way that they played defensively the last two weeks, there's no doubt it was... It was surprising to me because... You think about the losses this season. And I said it when we recapped the Kansas game. I said it when we recapped Bedlam. I thought the defense played well enough to win those games. So I thought that that group, like that side of the ball, had really made some progress. So to see them limp to the finish line the way that they did, I'm with you, man. It was surprising. Yeah. I thought I thought the I thought the defensive line did a pretty good job down the stretch. Um and you heard Venables talk about that at the BYU game. I mean, it's not like we're absolutely wrecking shop up front, but it's just the attention to detail on the second and third level of just knowing where to be. I mean, we got it we got guys controlling their gaps across the front and you know, we're we're in, you know, off in no man's land on the second level and it's just right down the middle and that's what happens when you get guys out of gaps that don't know where they're supposed to be I mean I don't know anything else no OU's offense against TCU 607 yards scored 62 points well that's pretty dang good and I I love the aggressive attitude my favorite part was and this sounds simple, but they attacked the glaring weaknesses that TCU had shown on tape. 
TCU over pursued at linebacker on the backside of gap scheme and zone scheme runs. They attacked it over and over and over again. A TCU had shown a weakness at the corner opposite of Josh Newton. They attacked it over and over and over again. Uh, they just kept attacking stuff that TCU didn't have answers for and hadn't shown that they had answers for coming into the game. That's good play calling. That's good game planning. I, I thought Jeff Levy did a really nice job. Now he's at Mississippi State. So it is what it is. But a couple guys I thought that played good. See, I'm doing your thing. Guys, <laughs> I thought that played well. I like it. Dylan Notice Gabriel. That. <laughs> Dylan Gabriel. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the toughness. So it was a neck issue. That's what the concern was during the BYU game. That's why I didn't go back into the game. Uh, and he didn't practice until they had walkthrough during the week. And he told, he told me a funny story. They're out there doing walkthrough. And you know how it is when you're doing walkthrough. You're wearing jerseys and, and shorts. He's out there in shoulder pads and a helmet because he hadn't practiced all week. So they're going through walkthrough and he's out there looking like a dingus in shoulder pads and a helmet, like trying to see how the neck feels. I thought that nice. was hilarious. That's good. <laughs> but uh, for him to not practice at all and to go out there and play the way that he did, the interception, it, it was obviously very bad. But I also, I thought some of, the deep balls that he threw, I thought he let him go a little sooner and he gave it all he had. Mm -hmm. And some of those throws were really nice, but had some really, really solid throws to Drake Stoops. Once again, did some nice things. I love the sprint out. What was that? I think that was on a fourth down where he, where he kind of used the setup inside the pocket to find, I want to say it was Nick Anderson on an out route. Once again, it feels like that game was a month ago, <laughs> but I just, I appreciate him going out there and and battling for his team. I just, I, I thought everything considered that he, he did a really nice job in that game. I think the, the most drastic improvement for Dylan Gabriel from last year to this year was pocket awareness, pocket movement the way he was able to move around, keep his eyes downfield. Game after game after game, we saw excellent plays where he's uh, avoiding a rush, moving around to buy some time, maybe even escaping outside and then making a really nice throw downfield. And the back half of the season, he really excelled at that. And I think that I've talked about that plenty. I think that comes from trusting your offensive line. I, I completely agree. And he he followed so many great players here at Oklahoma. I'm not sure we appreciated him the way that we should. Just because you watch, you know, we got to watch a lot of games this weekend because the Sooners played on a Friday. Just watch a lot of these other guys struggle at the quarterback position. And I was sitting there going, well, DG's better than that guy. Well, he's better than that guy. He's better. I, I found myself saying it a lot. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I just appreciate him, and he's you know, a fan, fantastic guy to interview, all the type of stuff. Theme, seems like he's all about all the right things, which I appreciate.
Totally agree. Gavin saw Chuck 130 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, thought he did a nice job finishing runs with physicality. His bet biggest runs of the day. Uh, TCU just doesn't have anyone there. And good on him for recognizing that, making those cuts and, and getting north and south and eating up some big chunks. So I say that, and I think Gavin's getting a lot better and he's looking as healthy as he has all season. But, and, and tell me if you disagree, Ted, but we all saw how much more juice Imani Bailey had than Gavin Sawchuk, right? Every you, I'm not the only one that saw that. No. That's what it needs to look like moving forward. And I'm not saying that Gavin can't get there. Strength and conditioning, all the, all those things, bigger, faster, stronger, working on your agility, all that stuff. Players improve. There's no doubt about it. He needs to be healthy for the offseason. But it's two different speeds. That's that's what I'm saying. You, We all saw it firsthand. You saw Monty Bailey with the ball in his hands, and I think we all could go, that's that's the best running back in this game. Mm-hmm. That suddenness, that what I call twitch, juice, whatever word you would have used, we need more guys with more juice. Yep. So I mean, that's it's and you could see it you could see it all over college football. I mean, and it's not and it's not just it's not just the, the top five teams. I mean, there, there's there's guys all over the place, you know, and I don't know Sawchuck and Javante Barnes looked like Amani Bailey last year against Florida State. Right? I mean, energy, explosiveness, like just explosion through the hole. And then I don't know, I don't know what happened, but injury, whatever it might be, we've, we've got, we have to be more explosive at running back. It's, it's a must. It's a must. Completely agree. More guys I thought played well. Drake Stoops. Sideline catch was awesome. Catch and then the spin out and the big run afterwards was awesome. I was so glad he scored that touchdown. Guy's just a stud. I don't, I don't know what else to say about that young man. Just a a tremendous last performance on Owen Field by him. It's great. He'll be missed. He will be missed. I don't know what the totals ended up being, but he had to be, you know, Close to 80 catches, probably high 70s, probably 800 some yards receiving. Uh, was leading the the conference at touchdowns after we played our game on Friday. I don't know where it is now, but what a year from him, man! Awesome. 78 catches, 880 yards, 10 touchdowns for Drake Stevens. There you go. Pretty dang good, man. Yeah, it's a hell of a year. I thought Nick Anderson did some good things in the TCU game. He's a guy that he's got some juice. And he would have had an even bigger day if he would have been able to hold on the one where he took the shot in the middle of the field. By the way, that was definitely a fumble. I'm glad they didn't call it a fumble, but that was definitely a fumble and not an incomplete pass. But, hey, we'll take it. Yeah, I saw the replay after the game, and, yeah, it's pretty compelling. 
but a lot of those are really compelling at super slow motion you know um surprised i didn't review it especially with it happening to us yeah no kidding <laughs> uh, Jane gibson the long touchdown was awesome walking across the goal line pointing into the stands there's got to be an ball. awesome picture of that somewhere. is that the best deep ball throw by dg all year too oh i mean just in stride that was i mean it was great and the fact that he was dragging the guy into the end zone and that by the way on the film you could see the guy that he's dragging in the end zone tries to trip him like he whips his leg around and tries to trip him and can't get it done, which was hilarious. But that was an awesome play and an awesome moment. Uh, Brennan Thompson, that dude fast. Yeah. I don't know why we haven't used him more. Situationally, at least. I Maybe it's because he hasn't been healthy that often, but just a little perplexing. We haven't used that, guy's, that guy a little more with how he runs by people. But hey. He's... He is 100% at being well behind the defense every time that he's in the football game. Yes. <laughs> very, <laughs> very good at running by people. Uh, thought Stogner played his tail off in the run game. Uh, they asked him to do a lot again. Uh, Walter Rouse, another really solid performance from him. His only bad plays are really just where his athletic limitations show up a little bit. Um. Caden Green, couple notes from the game. He passed off a twist with Rouse. Ted, I sent you the clip. He looked as good as he's looked all season long from an athleticism perspective. It got me really excited. Like that he goes independent hands, he goes left, right. He pushes the guy, he redirects off the twist, looks fast and athletic doing it. Got me real excited. Well, he, uh, also, he also had a false him. start. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He regripped uh, underneath. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That play looks high, high level. Yes. He's a true freshman. Got me very excited. Now, he also had a false start because Josh Newton, the corner, is trying to communicate to someone on TCU's defense. He gets so pissed off. He slaps his thigh pads, and Caden Green thought it was DG clapping. And he jumps, and then all of the O line would point at him. And Josh Dude's like, "What are you guys talking about? I'm just yelling at someone." <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty funny to watch on tape. But I, I'm excited about his future. I, Tyler Guyton played 13 snaps, and what's the best way to put it? Watching him block the same guys as Sexton makes you realize how talented Guyton is. And I'm excited about Sexton's future. It's clear. He's got to get stronger. Bottom line. But Guyton came in there and just made it look easy. Now, he told me on the sideline he's still banged up, not feeling very good. But guy looked fine to me on tape. I had him down for 12 pluses and one minus. Nice. So he is, and he went through senior day stuff, so think that's a pretty good indication of where his head's at moving forward. That was a guy that would have been really helpful to take into the first year of the SEC. But if you're being mocked into the first, the, you know, the middle of the first round, well, not really a decision, man. No, it's not. It's not. Well, I, you know, I like, uh, I like Sexton. He's 
you know, kind of got thrown into the fire. You hated the injury that he had, but it looks like he's battling back nicely. And line of scrimmage is like we're gonna have to do some real uh work this offseason with the amount of guys we're losing losing on the defensive line and what our three best players on the offensive line. Well, I I mean, Raymond, your two tackles, right? So it's not easy to replace those guys. Yeah, Rame went through senior day. Uh, I know he considered declaring last year. I'd be shocked if he doesn't declare this year. And there's some moments in this game. It's the best way to put this. And Rame and I have a good relationship, but there's some moments in this game where he's looking like a guy that's trying to not get hurt in the game. Looking back, Where's the ball? Oh, let me get out of the way just in case. Don't want yeah. to get rolled up. Man. Yeah, and I get that. But it was just it's just a little frustrating to watch. But it is what it is. I, I I get there's a business aspect to all of this. I understand that. But, yeah, you're going to have to replace Guyton, Matoyer, Raim. Got some exciting young guys that I know Bill's excited about. We'll see what happens in the portal. But that is, that's a discussion for a different day. It, you got any other thoughts on what you saw from the offense? Nope. A lot of yards, a lot of points. And the guy that was calling the plays is no longer here. Wild. A lot can happen in a couple of days. <laughs> yes, it can. College football. We had some fantastic games in week 13 of college football to recap. But first, John Vance Auto Group is a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full-service dealerships in Miami, Woodward, or Guthrie and tell them we sent you. They'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this podcast. Been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all the information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order, in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game. And with all the garage locations being open to 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. Week 13 of college football. Let's start our recaps in Stillwater. Oh, so close. Oklahoma State wins 40-34 to in double overtime and earns a berth 
in the Big 12 championship game. The win, of course, as you all know, keeps Oklahoma out of the Big 12 championship game. Ted, Isaac cracks just fall down, man. It's only second down. You don't have to fight for it like it's fourth down. I appreciate the effort, but what are we doing? That was a that was a hell of a play by Trey Rucker to take it the ball was. from him. Yeah, that was a fantastic defensive play. It was. That was impressive. It really felt like at that point that BYU just somehow got through a horrible second half of football and may still find a way to get the win. Um, but nice play by Oklahoma State. Was really shocked that it really ended up being that much of a game, but BYU came out and was handing it to them early. Um, Oklahoma State answered nice, but a couple of, couple of guys for BYU played really nice games. Thought I thought Retzloff played, played – he is like – he will make some really nice plays. And then there's other times where it's like, where did that guy come from? This is, this is how I explained it to my wife. There is a play like the 50 yard dime. He threw to the Hill kid. He looks incredible on that play where you go. That guy is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. (laughs) And then the next play this is the only sports analogy I could come up with. Ted, you know when it gets deep into a Major League Baseball game, they exhaust the bullpen, and a position player has to come on the mound and pitch? Yes. Yeah, he looks like that playing quarterback at points in time where you're like, this guy can't even throw a forward pass. Uh, yeah. It's so it's strange. Strange. I mean, there there were some wild plays, and – I thought BYU's defensive line played pretty well, but at linebacker, my goodness, they're just so bad at linebacker. They're they're bad at linebacker and they're worse at safety. Yeah, Ollie yeah, Gordon's injuries at safety. I forgot about that. Uh, Ollie Gordon's run in the first overtime, the safety. Oh my gosh, it's. They are so slow at safety. It's incredible to watch. Well, if you're talking about, I can't remember if it was the first or the second. Did he score the second touchdown too? Oh, the se- in the, the touchdown in the second OT, the one where it looked like it was going to be a loss or three or four, and that's Tyler yeah. Batty. That's their best player on defense that's got him in the backfield, and he just makes a miss and goes and jumping and turning and twisting in the end zone. That was an awesome individual effort. Well, on one of those, our guy 31 just runs right up into the back of somebody and falls down to the ground, and it was hard to watch. Whenever you you need that game, it's like, what are they doing? But it was entertaining. I know that. That was was a lot of fun to watch. It, It was, I watched the entire second half, did not miss one snap. At the Oklahoma City Thunder game. <laughs> I watched the entire <laughs> thing on my phone while the Thunder and the 76ers were playing. Oh, well, and, I, uh, I was pretty much sold on YouTube TV watching the quad box 
with all the games happening at the same time, didn't miss anything at my parents' house. That was awesome. That's awesome. Now, what did you think? There's a lot of discussion about what's well, fourth and one. BYU's at their own 35. They're up 24-21. Uh, Sataki uses the timeout with a little over five and a half minutes to go. When they came back from a commercial and their punt team was out there, dude, I'm telling you, I was shocked. They'd been so aggressive in the first half, right? The fake punt before the half that leads to the field goal. I, I felt like they were being really aggressive. And then to get conservative in that moment, I was I was surprised. And I know they end up, it ended up working out. They end up in overtime, but and I just felt like you had you had a moment there and they didn't seize it. Well, at the time, though, they hadn't done anything in the second half. They hadn't moved the ball at all. And I I was sitting there thinking, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna get the first down, but you're gonna go three and out after that. And you're probably gonna punt it. And you're not, they're going to go down and score and you're not going to have any time to do anything. So, I mean, if, if you could, if you could guarantee that you're going to be able to convert a couple of first downs, then I would have gone for it. But they had been so bad in the second half offensively that I, I don't blame them for, for punting it at all. I would have handed it to Robbins and just lived with it, yeah. you know, yeah. but Hey, Ollie Gordon was really good. Five touchdowns for that guy in this one. And I thought Leon Johnson, he was massive for them in the second half. It seems like every big pass play was going to that guy. Yep. And it continues to shock me that they were trying to redshirt that guy. I know. Crazy. Uh, before we played him and flipped on the film, I was like, best receiver that got. Dangerous. Um, I'll say this, though. As good as Ollie Gordon was, did uh, he made some nice throws, but especially early, I thought Bowman was bad. I That weather look. Yeah, that's true. That's terrible. True. And I, you got to imagine that affected the way that he played. He did not throw it very well. Yeah. This is what I'll say. It was horrible. It looked, I was stunned at how that stadium looked. They kept showing those overhead shots too. So in Oklahoma State fans, it's not like they're not a type of people that are prepared for cold weather. They got the gear. So you know, you know, it just had to be awful. But you, you you gotta have you gotta have more people in the stadium and in that than that than when you're playing to go f- play for a Big Twelve title. What are we doing? What are we doing? You, Layer you, up, people. Uh, if OU you. fans ever did something like that, I would roast them endlessly. Yeah, they they would roast themselves endlessly. I that would that would not happen. Um, it does remind me of the the foggy camera problem in that football game. Did you could you notice that wet lens? Watch, wet lens. On your phone. It was horrible the whole game, but it was terrible conditions. 
hey, congratulations, Oklahoma State. Got a chance to go, like, upset the whole thing and beat Texas in the Big 12 championship. I don't think that's going to happen, but they've got an opportunity. They absolutely do. Let's talk about their opponent. Texas Tech went to Austin and got absolutely dismantled by the Texas Longhorns, 57-7. to Ted, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this one. Uh, Texas is a much more talented football team. Uh, they are a better football team than Texas Tech. I was really hoping our buddy Dusty Dvorak was going to get a call, a suspenseful one. But at least he got to call Arch Manning's first action. That was awesome. How about that? Yeah. That was a beat down, dude. Yeah. Damn. They they spent the second half discussing the college football playoff. Uh what may the different scenarios, who would get in and who wouldn't. But yeah, Arch Manning uh went in there and looked pretty good. Uh honestly. Thought he looked thought he looked uh, good out there. Yeah, too much talent all over the field for um for Texas out there. You know, I, I thought Early on, it looked like, okay, this could be a football game, but just didn't have the horses. The defense, the front seven, too good for Texas. I thought Ewers was solid, not great. Uh, he had the interception in the end zone on the underthrow on the fade to A.D. Mitchell. Not not a good throw. He Story has of the season. That's Quinn Ewers summed up right there. Solid, yeah. not great. But Texas had some explosive plays in this one. Jaden Blue looked fast as hell on that 69-yard touchdown run. You mentioned it. Tech's offense. I don't know. If you didn't watch the game, I cannot explain how impressive it was that Todd Brooks ended up with 95 rushing yards in this game. If you saw that, you went, oh, they must have done some decent things. No, that man did a lot of it by himself. I yeah. mean, those 95 yards are a testament to just how individually talented that young man is. Yeah. Because he, he's got to be close to Tech's all time leading rusher, doesn't he? I mean, he's put up some serious numbers for what, four years in a row as after transferring in. Yeah. So pretty good. Baron Morton needed to be special in this one. And well, he threw a pick six that went off a guy's foot. <laughs> so that's just kind of the day it was him for him. That's just kind of the day it was for him. Uh, 88 yards passing, three interceptions, including the pick six. My goodness, that is that is not the performance that they needed for this one to be interesting. One, one takeaway from this game that I think applies to the Big 12 championship game. Texas's red zone offense continues to be an issue, man. And that that is the number one reason at this point in time, uh, I think Texas is probably going to end up in the college football playoff. It's the number one reason I don't think they can win a college football playoff game is their inability to score touchdowns in the red zone. Now, Bert Auburn was great in this game for them. Five for five on field goals was kicking the hell out of the ball. But that that's not going to beat Georgia. That's not going to beat Michigan. That's not going to beat whoever comes out of the Pac-12. They they have really struggled. With how talented they are, they've really struggled in the red zone, scoring touchdowns. 
it's their quarterback. You can go mm. all the way back to the OU Texas game. Um, I guess I riled some people up whenever I was talking about Quinn Ewers and saying how average of a quarterback he was. I still believe it. Talked about the red zone deficiencies with that football team at that exact point. Uh, it's hard to score in the red zone. It's tighter. The throws have to be, the decisions have to be made quicker. The ball has to be thrown more accurately. Get it out of your hand faster. And I think that's I think that's where they struggle is is at the quarterback spot. And yeah, I I totally agree with you. It's going to be a problem whenever they start to play teams that are more talented than they are. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. And maybe it's a problem against Oklahoma State, but you know you got. Ollie Gordon going up the strength against the strength of that Texas football team. I think it could be a difficult day for Oklahoma State. Yeah. I, I do not think it's a good matchup. We'll preview no. that one. How about this? Power five conference championship game previews with the one, the only Josh Pate on Wednesday. Nice. Pate State like material, it. baby. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's always fun when Josh joins us, but Couple thoughts on Texas. You mentioned it. Arch Manning looked really good. He looked really athletic. Yeah. I almost, and I know it was a glimpse and mopped up duty, but he almost looked so good that I would be surprised if he's not their starter next year. Yeah. Just because he can, he moved so much better than yours. Moves well. He's athletic. Looks and like he's got a better arm, too. He's got a good, strong arm. Yeah. I, it was a tough night. Goes. It was a tough night for the arches in any good crowd. Yeah. <laughs> no, he did drop that snap, but he looked he looked hey, pretty solid, man. From what I've seen, dropping a snap is a clear sign that you're going to be a great quarterback whenever you're young. I feel like I've seen that happen all the time. Jackson Arnold did it. Jackson BYU Arnold game. did it. Caleb Williams did it like the first three times he was in for OU. Yeah. Interesting. I, I hate complimenting Texas, but Texas playing the Brett Yormark clip on the Jumbotron was awesome. That was good. I rarely compliment the Longhorns, but that was well done. Well done. That was good. I like that. I wonder if that's one of those that had to go through the approval process all the way up through the AD and everything, or is that, that just some intern throwing it on there? <laughs> I bet it was Steve Sarkeesian going, when this thing's out of hand in the play fourth quarter, it. play it. <laughs> Probably so. I hope that's what it was. We've saved the best game for last. Ohio State went to Michigan, and, well, they got beat again. Three losses in a row for the Buckeyes to the Wolverines. Michigan wins 30-24. to 24. The difference in the game was Kyle McCord's interception. Yeah, that's kind of how it felt. The early interception. Now they had there was so much football played after it, but I don't know what it. What did you think, Ted? Just Michigan was just a little better at everything than Ohio yeah. State. Yeah, I thought they were. I thought they were overall better, a better football team, um, and the just kind of the nature of how they play kind of lends it to be a close football game 
kind of no matter what, like, and I know there was some times that it was in question, but I never really felt like Ohio State was threatening enough. I I don't know. I I guess I was pretty confident the whole time that Michigan was going to win it, but there's no doubt that those are two high level teams. Um, I thought McCarthy made a couple of really nice throws. Um, really, really nice throws. He looked confident, but the run game, man, the run game, um, that was the key. I thought it was funny late. I didn't think, I didn't think Sean Moore called a very good game late. I mean, some of those calls I thought were wild. They threw like on a third and eight, they threw that, that just, I think it may have been an RPO, but through a stop route and it was like a, a no gain or maybe even a two yard loss late and they kicked a field goal instead of getting aggressive and, going, and trying to go get that third down. But I mean, I, I think Michigan is, I, I think they're the number two team in the country, but I don't think they're close to Georgia. Am I crazy? No, they just don't have the explosiveness on offense. Like Georgia does. They've, they've got some power. There's no doubt about it, but they don't have it, it. What's the best way to put it? It seems harder for Michigan. Yeah. It seems it, it seems like it takes more effort than when you watch Georgia and you watch Carson Beck. And when they want to push it down the field, you see the athletes they've got, you see the Twitch they've got at running back. I don't know. It just seems easier it's like a styles make fights right and it feels like georgia's style is is going to give michigan all kinds of problems now if michigan can force it into a big 10 type of game just like they did with with ohio state because ohio state's typically a more high-flying offense than what michigan is uh, Michigan's very old school. It's like a it's like a '90s NFL offense is what it looks like. But I I just I feel like Georgia is going to pull them out of that comfort zone. But I don't know. We'll see. D- definitely very good football team. Really good on the line of scrimmage. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Whenever the the big old lineman goes down and oh they're man. To punch it in on the very next play. Uh, Blake Corm goes in. That was pretty cool. Yeah, flash the six five for Zinter. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It snapped his leg in half. Not yeah. good. What'd you think about them not showing the replay? Are you anti watching a guy break his leg on the replay? I I feel like you show the replay and you warn the people, like, hey, if this stuff I I wanted to see the leg break. I don't know what that says about me, but I wanted to see how it happened. But you know. Yeah, usually I'm. They just came back and they're like, "Oh, it was bad. Trust us." Like, "Oh no, show, show me. I'm an adult. I, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, I got two children. I want to see this leg break. Show it to me." I'm usually fine with it. Um, I guess if usually if everyone's telling me how horrible it is, I'm like, "Okay, well, I've seen a lot of bad ones. I can imagine it's going to look just like the other bad ones I've seen." I usually don't go out of my way to see it, but usually I think you kind of owe it to show maybe whenever you're on television. Zinner, Zinner seems like a tough guy. Decision. Yeah. Yeah. He wants people to know what he went through. Come on. 
He seems like a guy that would go, let them see. Now, if there's like a bone sticking through the skin, okay, maybe we don't need to show that with then blood. We cut it off. We cut yeah. it off before you can see the bone. <laughs> That's right. But I, I think one of the big storylines coming out of this game is Sharon Moore out, out coaching Ryan Day. They were more aggressive. They went for those fourth downs in the first half. Uh, they were more creative, right? The halfback pass. He brought the big. That's a big orgy. I can't <laughs> yeah. believe they didn't drop. I can't believe Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt didn't use that. I can't. But <laughs> that quarterback, he came in. They ran. What was that? A 20-something yard run? Yeah. I mean, nice. Ohio State didn't look prepared for it. He's a yeah. big athletic dude. And his last name's Orgy. It's hilarious. Whenever... Whenever he first, I first kind of, I saw that he took off running and I was like, oh, who's that? I, I thought maybe they had a wildcat or something going as a wide receiver. And he didn't look all that big. But then whenever they flashed the, like his height, weight and all that up there, I was like, dang. And then they kind of cut to a tight shot. And I was like, that's a, that's a good looking quarterback. Yeah. But uh, the decision that, I'm sure Ryan Day is going to think about someone before the half. Had a chance to call a timeout and go for it on fourth and two from the 35. Let's 30 whatever seconds go off the clock. They end up miss, missing the 52-yard field goal. And they're down 14 to 10 at the half. So that is... Now, credit to Michigan. It did feel like... It did feel like Ohio State was taking the momentum. Marvin Harrison scored with... 8.05 on the clock to make it 27-24 Ohio State. And, man, I thought I thought Michigan was going to deliver the disaster scenario for Ryan Day. Or, excuse me, it was 27-24 Michigan. Yeah. I thought the funniest scenario possible was about to unfold. And that was Ohio State was going to be incapable of getting off the field for the last eight minutes of the game. And Lou Holtz was going to run out of the tunnel and call Ryan day soft to his face uh, or something like that. Just, but now they only wanted Michigan run seven minutes off the clock before they kicked the field goal. But I thought the, the most disastrous scenario for Ryan day was in play there. But it it didn't end up happening. But I don't know what it says about me. But I kind of wanted it to to happen. Yeah, I that would have been bad. But judging by Ohio State Twitter, the three losses in a row to Michigan is bad enough. No kidding. I mean, plenty of people coming out of the woodwork saying he's done. They got to get rid of him. Sorry, you've been a pretty good coach, but you can't lose three straight. You're out of here. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case, but it's it's crazy how good Ryan Day has been there, except for the Michigan game. Pretty crazy. He's lost. He's lost a lot of games 
that are heartbreakers for that fan base. Games to Michigan and games in the playoff. Yep. That's about it. <laughs> that's that's really all he's lost. Yeah. So, I know what was the, the they had a run going where they hadn't lost a Big Ten game in a really long time till they started dropping the Michigan games and it's still still wild. We'll see what happens with them. I mean, I, I don't know. They need know. to get a better quarterback, Kyle McCord. Now, I don't know how injured he was, but on that last drive, at no point did I think Kyle McCord's going to take him down the field and win the game. Yeah. yeah. So they've been really, really good at quarterback. And Ryan Day's been a large part of that. You you think about what C.J. Stroud was when he was the quarterback there, what he's doing for the Texans now. It's clear how talented that dude is. I don't know if Kyle McCord's anywhere close to the type of talent that they've come to expect at that position. It doesn't appear so. It it doesn't appear that their offense is is where it was. And I – I know that they were super talented at wide receiver a year ago, and they still are. I mean, obviously, but I don't know if they've got as many guys as they had a year ago, but back to the drawing board, they better figure something out. McCarthy's mobility was a big, big factor in that game, and McCord just was not with his legs. Once again, it goes back to how banged up was he? I I don't know, but that's that's the quickest way to beat Michigan is to get elite quarterback play. Yeah. I mean that solves a lot of problems. That's how they beat them for so long is they could Michigan could never stack up with Ohio State at quarterback. Just couldn't. I mean great at the line of scrimmage, great on defense, but they just did not have a playmaker at quarterback and and now they're better at quarterback and it's it's been the whole difference. Sounds like J.J. McCarthy grew up an Ohio State fan. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. All right, Uh, let's rip off a quick winners and losers of the weekend. But first, do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it's a hip thing. And the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the Hip Clinic in Oklahoma City. No matter your age, the Hip Clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the Hip Clinic today at 844-KEEP-HIP or visit the hipclinicokc.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSS AA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I had to go with OU Men's Hoops. Really, really nice job. They got the dub over a pretty solid USC team. Um, we're athletic, man. We're athletic, much more athletic than we were a year ago. Um, 
I thought it was awesome watching McCollum mix it up. I mean, there's a lot of like highly recruited, highly thought of players on US USC's basketball team. And I thought McCollum was the best guy on the on the court. We were watching uh the second half of that game as we were doing post game, you know, for the uh for the TCU game and it was fun to watch, man. It's we got a totally different team it feels like than we've had the last couple of years. You know, it stuck out how drastic the difference in athleticism has been between OU and a lot of the other Big 12 teams and I feel like we've closed the gap. I this is excited as excited as I've been to watch OU basketball in a while after seeing the Iowa game and then the USC game. Yeah. Going back to Jalen Moore's dunk against Iowa. It's the last time we've seen something like that. Been a while. Been a so while. that that gets me excited and not to disparage any of his past teams, but doesn't it seem like Porter Moser's just got like a new energy to him? Yeah. Well, I'm sure like the situation has not been it easy been great. Before. I as soon as he got here, he had to put together an entirely new basketball team from scratch during COVID, which was very difficult. Um, and then after that year had to, I mean, he's essentially had to build an entirely new basketball team every single year, which is hard to do. It's hard to, especially like with the system that he runs, he's kind of a system guy, a culture guy. It's hard to build and develop any of that whenever you're turning over an entire roster every year. So this is a big year for him. Hopefully they, they find some stability and I mean, the way it looks right now, and I know this con this conference is going to be hell, but looks like we've got a, a solid basketball team. One thing I really enjoyed watching them. And that's really the first two games that I've watched paying attention to it. I like that. They play hard, dude. Yeah. I can get behind a group that plays hard. And now they play hard, and they got some athleticism to them. Are they a long, rangy, big man away from making some noise in the Big 12, most likely? Yeah, probably. But I I just think it's going to be a lot more entertaining to watch, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited for some OU hoops. Let's go. Totally agree. Totally agree. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? Oh, Texas A&M. <laughs> uh, I was so pissed last night whenever I saw all the reports starting to come through that looks like Texas a and is going to hire Mark Stoops. It's like, oh, my God, no. That's a great hire. They can't make a great hire. And I can't make fun of Mark Stoops and Texas A&M nonstop. This is terrible. Went to bed, woke up. I was like, yeah, that. Now that is the Texas A&M I know. <laughs> so, do, did you see Mark Stoops' statement? I just saw, like, he put out, I just saw the generic, I've got a great job here. I love. Yes. Yeah. Love my players like their family, best fans of the world. It sounds. Like he accepted the AM job and it started getting leaked 
before the board of regents had approved said hire. And you know how it works at A&M, man. I guess a couple of the big money guys said, nope, Mark Stoops not good enough. And then they hired Mike Elko. Like Mike Elko has a better resume than Mark Stoops. And I know Elko was there not too long ago as the DC. I understand that. But it's hilarious that the fan base freaked out about Stoops, about Mark Stoops, and they're thrilled with Mike Elko. It makes no sense. No, it makes zero sense. Um, like Mark Stoops is is probably, when you think about it, the perfect hire for Texas A and M. I he's done at Kentucky exactly what they need at Texas A and M. Now, Kentucky has some limitations that when it comes to recruiting and stuff that you feel like Texas A and M wouldn't have. So whenever you combine what he's done, like his, his operation with some of the resources that you've got at Texas A&M, it looks like you've got a team that could consistently be a player in the sec, but that's, that's too easy. I guess. I, he, he has taken, Kentucky football to the most consistent level it's ever been at. And I guess that just is not good enough for the Aggie faithful. I think Mike Elko is a really good coach. I think he did a tremendous job at Duke. I, I have zero doubt that he is a really good football coach. I just think what transpired there with the Mark Stoops situation is the perfect example of why that program's never going to get to where they think it's going to get. There's just, you got to deal with too much. There there's the, I just don't think you can. And I, who knows what happens with Ross Bjork, the AD. I mean, he hired Mark Stoops and they said, you're not hiring him. That's what happened. It sounds like. So, I don't know, man, but that is how do you coach in an environment like that where people have that much influence? I don't, I don't know. It seems like it'd be really difficult. Well, I, I think it's really difficult. Okay. I always talk about this. There's two, two types of coaches, right? There's football guys. And then there's like the the big personality, right? The big personality makes the hires, does some does the recruiting, you know, meets with the donors, does all of that stuff, excellent at it. Like that's the type of guy that is better in that that kind of job than an X's and O's guy. An X's and O's football guy is like, why am I talking to this guy? Who is this guy? Get him out of my office. Uh, do not let that person into our facility again, please. Right? And it's just, it turns into a bad situation. That's why, and I don't know, Elko, he strikes me as a football guy. And that can be very difficult for those guys to to, to try and maneuver in, man. It, it is. 
you got you got every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's that's giving a check to the university, telling you who you should play and when you should play them, and they demand that these players are on the field. And you know, I really don't know how it goes there behind the scenes, but I, I know whenever you write big checks, you feel like you should have some influence over the program. That's typically how it works. I know that it is. It's difficult to lose the number of games that they've lost over the last couple of years with the amount of talent they've had on that roster. It's hard. They got a but they've had a bunch of NFL players on those teams. So I I'm interested to see how it goes under Elko. But the Mark Stoops thing was so strange. Oh, we love Elko. Mark Stoops, no. <laughs> It was such an intense reaction to them trying to hire an awesome football coach. Hey, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe it ends up being maybe the the Texas A&M faithful ended up being right. We'll see. I personally, here's what I think. Think they'll be an eight and five program like they always have been. That's me. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that'll give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top of the line heaters to keep you warm during those cold tailgates later in the season. They're Oklahoma owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405 495 1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C H A P P. E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank knows how to keep fans like you happy. With more than 50 awards in the last five years, including Ford's Best in State Bank, the Oklahoma's Community Choice Awards, and the Journal Records Reader Rankings, it's clear that they are Oklahoma's number one pick for quality banking. And you can find that level of outstanding service in everything First Fidelity Bank offers. Open an account at award-winning bank today at ffb.com. First Fidelity Bank, we go where you go. And head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. My winner of the weekend, Alabama. No better feeling than winning a rivalry game. You know it. You know wow. it. I can't imagine on the road against your biggest rival what it feels like to win on a touchdown pass on fourth and goal from the 31-yard line. I just it, just an incredible sequence there and an absolute dart. From Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond, and that's a heck of a catch as well. Just threw it to a spot, just throw it to the back corner of the end zone, let him go make a play, and got the DB all turned around. I mean, whenever you're watching it, it's like, how could that happen? Because they did, I mean, they don't show that he's probably just like running around in the end zone like this the whole time. Yeah. So uh, just a uh, great execution on a on a very difficult situation. I think Auburn rushed two. Probably not what I would have gone with, but hey, it is what it is. They, 
That all got set up because of a muff punt. Did you see the clip of Hugh Freeze after the game? Yeah, in the press conference that he didn't, he thought it was his normal returner back there. Yeah. Yikes. Ouch. Different zeros, Hugh. He was That's like, a large oh, mistake. I'll have to talk to so-and-so about that. I thought it was. I thought it was weird. He was like, well, he must have taken himself out. Really? That's your first thought? <laughs> so strange. That whole. Because I know a coach I hired didn't take him out. <laughs> that was such a strange answer. Everything about it was strange, but I mean, you had the bad snap. It was a minus 18. I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, center. No, center's nightmare. You're trying to go win the game. You have a bad snap at that moment. Just, oh no. And then what an exhilarating win for Alabama. Keeps all of their goals still alive. And we'll see what it looks like against Georgia, but what an absolutely brutal way to lose a football game for Auburn. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what's the record now, Auburn? It's not great. It's not great. What, five and seven? Something like that. And that place was packed. I mean, there was not an empty seat in the house. The sideline six and six. was six and six. Sideline was jam-packed. What an atmosphere. All of the, like, they had the drones buzzing around the stadium to give all those cool camera shots. Was, like, the coverage of that game was awesome. Iron Bowl's a big deal. Yeah. It's that like if awesome. OU Texas was played in Norman and in Austin. Yeah. yeah. That, a, was, that was crazy. It's a very big deal, but this game was the perfect example that college football makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense that one of the most talented teams in the country, in Alabama, has to win on a miracle play to beat a team that got blown out at home by New Mexico State a week ago. It makes no sense. But that's why it's the best. That's why, that's it's, why the it's the best. The best. That is why it is the best. Oh, it's crazy. Crazy man, but that was awesome. What an ending! We were we were watching at my parents' house, and we were going. I I don't know if anyone was going for Alabama or Auburn or what, but we were still going crazy in the living room. That was cool. Did you see the clip of Herb Street and Fowler watching it in the booth before they called the Florida Florida State game? No, I didn't. Oh, I missed that. It was awesome. They're just like punching each other. It was such a guy's reaction to a moment. It was pretty cool. I did now, I'm see sure. the clip of. Uh, Milrow demanding the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Uh, oh, awesome. My loser of the weekend. Rough one for Oregon State. My goodness. Yeah. You lose 31-7 to to Oregon in the Civil War on Friday night. And then you lose your coach to Michigan State on Saturday. Jonathan Smith named the new head coach for the Spartans. He's an Oregon State alum. That makes the future of the program program feel even worse, man. Uh, that's just, you get housed by Oregon and then you lose your coach who leaves his alma mater. That's a bad combo if you're a Beaver. Bad combo. And I, it feels like you can chalk that one up to conference realignment, right? Yeah. I mean, 
there's no way he's he's leaving from Michigan State if the Pac-12 is still operating as it always has next year. I, I mean, I guess I don't – I could be wrong about that, but that's just the way it feels from, from my point of view. Um, you hate that for Oregon State. It had a really good team this year, a fun team to watch. I heard people saying that the Michigan State job – is not better than the Oregon State job. And I, I guess I don't know much about the Oregon State job, but the fact that they've lost their tie to a Power Five conference, and I don't know, I, I don't know how that they're supposed to reach an agreement with, was it the Mount West or whatever? I don't know how that's going to operate, but I have a hard time believing that. Oregon State is a better job than Michigan State in the current environment. I just, I, it's going to be, it's already difficult to recruit there. It's going to be even more difficult now. No doubt. Looking at the game, Oregon State, they just, I, I felt like the long touchdown from Knicks to Troy Franklin right before the half to make it 21 to 7 was kind of a nail in the coffin because they, they're just not, built to play from behind. They had to get away from the run game with Damian Martinez, and it wasn't effective anyways. I thought DJU was okay in the game, but yeah, that is get beat by your rival. You lose your coach. Uh, The only other thoughts I have on that game is the neon green and the neon orange. Very stimulating to watch on television. (laughs) Yes. Get your attention. I know yes, exactly what game I'm watching when I turn that game on, which I appreciate. It, I I hope they keep playing that game, and I hope they keep wearing those ridiculous jerseys, both of them. It was a bunch of deer hunters uh, playing football against some highway workers. That's yes. what it looked like. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. I think Oregon is capable of playing for a national title. I'm very impressed with that football team. I expect them to beat Washington in Agreed. the Pac-12 championship game. And the last thing on this one, did you see what the Oregon Duck Twitter account tweeted out? I did not. Dude, I did not think. So it was just a picture of the Oregon Duck and the Oregon State Beaver mascot, and they're both facing the field, and they just had their arms around each other. And the caption was, till next time. Yeah. And dude, I won't lie, it hit me right in the fields, man. I I did not expect a mascot picture to make me emotional, but I was like, damn, we don't know the next time that game is going to be played. And it it got me starting to think about Bedlam. Are they so they're not continuing that game? No. And it just yeah. I know, I know why all the conference realignment took place, but just seeing that that picture, that stupid duck and that stupid beaver with their arms around each other, I don't know, man. It just it got me thinking: are we are we all doing the right thing here? You know, I don't know. I did not expect that reaction from a uh, from two mascots embracing each other, but here I am. I don't know. I don't know if we're doing the right thing or not. Probably not. We're probably not doing the right thing, but we're doing the inevitable thing. Once you have married yourself 
to the networks and the money, you don't have much of a choice. Birthday shout outs. Happy third birthday to Grayson McKenna. Happy fifth birthday to Autumn McKenna. Happy seventh birthday to Jack Elliott. Happy 10th birthday to Will Stone. Happy 13th birthday to Landon Hickman. Happy 22nd birthday to Trenton James. Happy 63rd birthday to Randy Cochran. Happy 71st birthday to Grandpa Charles Hollingworth. And on that note, episode 374 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Wednesday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Series 6 and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you haul. Hope you haul. Jeez, man. It is late. We're, we normally record that. <laughs> I can't even speak. We're done here. <laughs> we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Jeez. Just one.